Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Unk View. As always, I am Unk, aka Michael McClure, and as always, I'm joined by my partner, Mr. B. Michael Lemon. B. Michael Lemon, are you there? Hey, 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 I'm here. You, uh, you surviving in the, uh, in the aftermath of the Cubs going down 3-1 in the series? Oh my god, uh, yeah. It, it, it has been a, it's been a circus down in, in Wrigleyville, to say the least. No, just surviving is a good, is a, is the proper word to describe, I think, what everyone who lives near Wrigleyville is, is just doing in the last week. <laughs> yeah, in fact, we're, we're going to devote an entire show to talking about that and maybe one other topic in the very near future. But today we actually, in fact, it's because of what we're going to talk about that sort of messed up our schedule. You know, one of the things that we want to do here on Ankview is um, tell stories. Uh, one, because we hope they have some entertainment value, maybe. And secondly, because we just think that uh, storytelling is cool. We, we have been storytellers all our lives uh, in our family, uh, and it's been a big part of sort of the culture of our family. In fact, the best storyteller in the family is Brendan's father, my stepbrother, whose name also is Mike. Talk about confusion around the holidays and every other day. But in any <laughs> event, uh, I had an or we had an opportunity sort of hand itself to us this morning. And while it's fresh, and when I say fresh, I mean this literally just happened. I, uh, I just completed this episode that I'm about to describe to you just a matter of minutes ago. And I hope we have some salient points to make at the end of this above and beyond just the telling of the story itself. So, uh, Brendan, if it's okay with you, I'm just going to jump into it, and you can just interrupt me whenever you want. And, uh, you know, again, this isn't scripted at all. Brendan has no idea what I'm going to say, actually. So uh, this will be a really good organic experience for our listeners, hopefully. Well, I wanted to just mention one thing really quick is we wanted to thank everyone who may have been part of this, but we, uh, we had some really positive experience with one of our, with one of our podcasts, and I just wanted to, to mention it just to thank people. We, uh, we, we had a podcast which is called uh, RIP Journalism. And we have been just so excited and pleased by the response to that. And with, I don't want to get into all the details because it sounds like the world's worst humble brag. But we've had a, a really shockingly high number of uh, listens and shares. And, and uh, by far the most viral thing we've done so far in our very young experience here at Unkview. And if you haven't checked that out, I would Im I would invite you to do so because again, it seems to have struck a chord with a lot of people. And again, if you if you're one of those people who have listened or shared or liked, I think we're I don't know how many likes we have on that thing now on Facebook, but it's in the thousands, which is, you know, something that which is something that in my experience is fairly rare. So thanks everybody for for your support, not just on that, but on everything. Yeah. So that said, I'm going to jump into the story. As I've mentioned on several prior podcasts, I'm now addicted to motorcycling. I got into it originally at the start of last summer. It's now 2000. It's now in November, or October, October 30th of 2016. Back in May of 2015 or June, I got a motorcycle license. I bought a motorcycle, started riding it, rode it a lot at the latter half of 2015. At the start of 2016, I got 
one of the best motorcycles in the world, which is a BMW S1000R. It's a phenomenal motorcycle. Anyway, I ride it constantly, and over the course of riding it at all times of day and night, what I've learned is that my favorite time of riding is super early in the morning because the traffic is at its lowest typically, and there's just something about you know being on a motorcycle at daybreak when the sun's coming up. It's just a really cool experience for me. Yeah. You fell, and but before that, you were you were into cycling generally. But when you got into motorcycling, you really fell deep. You fell way into it. Yeah, that's true. Actually, for three years prior to that, so going back, I guess now it'd be five years. I got into bicycling and was uh, pretty addicted to that as well. And I was riding a bicycle three, four, or five times a week for twenty to thirty miles, which isn't that far if you're an advanced rider. But if you're not an advanced rider, that's pretty good, I think. So, yeah, I was heavily into that. Yeah. And it's, well, it's interesting because we actually talked about this in one of our other shows, if you remember. We were talking about, I think you raised the topic about uh, people not using turn signals and how many times you've almost had oh, yeah. accidents while bicycling yourself. And so, so, yeah, I was really into bicycling and then... I'd always wanted to get a motorcycle and finally did it. And yeah, it, it's sort of like I discovered the the hobby for which I have the most passion by a lot very late in life. So I guess lesson one or maybe advice, piece of advice one in this episode would be never stop pursuing your passions and, and your interests because you'll never know what you might stumble on and at what stage in life. So better late than never, as the saying goes. So... Anyway, this year I've gotten in the habit of getting up very early to ride my motorcycle. And when I say very early, uh, that's sometime before 5 a.m. I typically set my alarm for 4.30 or, or something like that, get up, get out the door around 5 or 5.05 or 5.10, sometimes earlier. And I can then ride for an hour or mm-hmm. an hour and a half uh, feeling fairly safe. And I can ride really fast, which, of course, is what I enjoy doing. So today was no exception. I set my alarm for 4.30. I got up at, I don't know, or 4.15. I got up at like 4.05. And I always check my weather app on my phone first because the weather is very fickle. And what you don't want to do when you're riding a motorcycle is ride when it's raining or, you know, when the weather is really foggy, whatever. So I checked the weather app and it shows that there is rain forecast for today, but it was showing, and I was looking at the weather in motion map that shows you how the clouds move by in 15-minute increments, and there were no clouds, no rain clouds showing anywhere uh, near where I am until 6.15 or 6. So I did the quick math in my head, and I thought, well, that's absolutely perfect if I get up right now. I'll be done right as it starts to rain. So I got up, got on the bike, went out. At that hour, there was no one out. I was going crazy fast yeah. right from the start. I, I, yeah. There were, it, highlights, there was an, I, can, I can see where this is going. <laughs> yeah, so there's a, there's a, a highlights in the first couple of miles were a live possum. There was a live possum in the middle of my lane on, the, on a road, and I was going about 85 at the time. And it's hilarious. If you've ever seen a possum up close, they are just really hideous, horrifying creatures. And he was frozen oh, in my head. Disgusting. Yeah, he was frozen in my headlights. So I just drove around him, no big deal. Literally about, <laughs> I don't know, a mile later, a cat ran across the road in front of me. Again, no big deal. And uh, so I continue on my way. 
And as I'm writing, uh, oh, and then I got on the uh, got on the expressway and set a new personal record for highest speed ever ridden, which was actually kind of scary. Went past a cop going over 100 miles an hour. He did not move. I could not believe it. I think he was asleep. Oh my gosh! Yeah, wow. uh, pull, pulled off, got off on an exit to go through Ann Arbor. Ann Arbor is a you know really great town, and it's cool to ride a motorcycle through. So I get off and I start going through Ann Arbor. In fact, uh, Brennan uh, was right by where your dad used to work over. Uh, when he worked in Ann Arbor. Yeah, yeah. And so I get over and I'm starting to enter Ann Arbor and it starts to sprinkle a little bit. And I thought, well, that's weird because, you know, the app didn't show any rain coming my way for a while. But I thought, you know, this happens sometimes that, you know, you just ride through a little bit of rain and that's it. I kept going and uh, the rain just kept getting more and more intense to the point where I thought, well, I I, I can't keep riding in this because it was it was pouring. Yeah, yeah. The- did you pull off? Is that what you ended up having to do? No, I didn't because I, because I, I looked, <laughs> I, I looked around. I mean, this sounds stupid, but when you're out in the middle of nowhere, which I was by the time I made this decision, I look up and all I see is is super super dark sky. So it looks like every direction. You know, sometimes you can just you can literally look and see a, that the sky is lighter over here than it is over there. And as dumb as that sounds, you just ride in the direction of light. But there was no way to do that today. And so I thought, well, hell, I'll just go home. So I start riding home. And I make it home, you know, without incident. And never, the, the rain was consistent the whole way. As I'm riding along, and, and, and just, you know, for the record, I was wearing five jackets because it's cold. It was like 50-ish degrees, which on a motorcycle is cold. Five jackets and four pairs of pants. And somewhere along, you know, as I'm heading back, I could feel the rain penetrate through all four layers of my pants completely so that, and this is going to sound gross, and it was, I could feel a small pool of water between me and the motorcycle, which, <laughs> which, which that isn't just sound, pleasant. First of all, that sounds very, that sounds super uncomfortable. <laughs> Well, it is when you consider but the it al- the temperature. It also sounds like it also sounds dangerous. Uh, not really. You'd be surprised at how, if you mean just being on a motorcycle in general, um, you'd be surprised at how stable motorcycles can be in the rain. Like I've learned, because I've ridden in the rain enough that I've learned that it really, if you just don't do something stupid, it's it's quite stable. Mm. So I wasn't worried about that. But anyway, so I the the rain. The rain penetrates my pants, and I'm like, this is really gross. Then I can feel it penetrating my jackets, and I'm thinking, well, at least I'm almost home. No big deal. I get home. I dry the motorcycle off. I get all these clothes off and, you know, hang them up or dry them, whatever. No big deal. So I, I, get, I get home, and I, I actually do not own a key to any exterior door in my home, and I have four different exterior <laughs> doors. Wait, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, I don't own a key. I literally you don't do not own a key own a... to your own home. <laughs> no, no, I, I carry a spare garage door opener. That's what I've always used, either a garage door opener in my car or the spare on my motorcycle. So I put, you know, I, re, I, I learned how to just feel for the opener through my jacket. It's in my left front zipper hand pocket, and I can feel the shape yeah. of the of the opener, and I can just push in a couple different places on that, you know, it's a rectangle. And, you know, 
if I don't hit it the first time, I'll hit it the second or the third time if I just push. So I just push on the outside of my jacket, and the door opens. Sure. Except today. And now, mind you, it's raining. <laughs> I'm, my motorcycle is just, I'm just sitting on my motorcycle in front of my garage getting rained on. And so I push it again. Nothing happens. I push it again. <laughs> Nothing happens. Push it again. Nothing happens. So at that point, I turned the motorcycle off and got off and took my gloves off. And, you know, they were just dripping water. Pull the, uh, unzip my pocket, pull the garage door opener out, and then walk over and sort of lean my back against the garage door. There's a little bit of an overhang, so I was not getting rained on directly. And I just sat there and pushed that damn thing, I'm not kidding you, a thousand times. And I, and I moved every way I could move, left, right, up, down. I backed away from the garage. You know, I, I went, like, if it was some weird issue like that. And I, I prayed fervently, and I mean that literally. I prayed fervently for quite a while and pressed the button. Yeah. Nothing, 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 nothing. So at this point, it's about... Five. I just can't get over. Hold on. I can't get over the fact that you don't have a key to any of the doors in your house. <laughs> like, like, like ever. You just never have one, or do you just not take it with you when you go to motorcycling? Um. Well, I think I did have a key to my front door at one point, and I just lost it somehow. <laughs> and I never had a uh, a key to the side door on my house. I did have a key to the door into the garage at one point. I don't know what happened to it. And then the other door is a sliding glass door, and I, and I again I may have had a key at one point. I don't recall ever having it, but you know you get used to using a garage door opener, and you just sure you, you just you know I'm not making excuses. In fact, on my to do list for tomorrow is I'm having a keypad installed on the garage door, so you know yeah. I won't. This will never happen again. This doesn't happen again. Yeah. Right. So back to where I was. So there I am trying to press the button. Yeah, and nothing's okay. happening. <laughs> right. so, you're, so you're mashing the crap out of your door opener. <laughs> well, actually, I think I broke it. I think I, I think I pushed it so many times so hard that now it feels broken, which doesn't really matter if I'm going to have the keypad oh, installed. But anyway, so at this point, it's like 5.55 a.m. And it's a Sunday. And I have never... Locked myself out of my house ever. I'm, you know, I've I've owned a home now for I don't know thirty years or more. I've never locked myself out, so this was a first for me. So I I pull my phone out and I start looking around for locksmiths and I call the you know the the one that I that's closest to where I live and of course they aren't even open on weekends at all. I then call yeah. yeah. I then no. call I then call the next one and it's I can just tell from the website and from the way the call moved, you know, how like it sort of rang and then paused and then rang again. I knew I was just getting forwarded somewhere. It was one of those, you know, call us and we'll get yep. a referral fee type deals. Anyway, yep. I, I talked to some dude and I explained the situation and of course, happy to help and uh, I'll have a technician or wherever they call their people. I'll have a guy call you in, in a couple of minutes, you know, to get the particulars. And I said, fantastic. Thank you so much. I asked for a price quote. He gave me a number. It sounded very reasonable. In fact, it sounded artificially reasonable. And I'll talk more about that at the end of the story. But so I said, sure. fine, just get somebody here as quickly as possible. I'm standing out in the rain and, and I'm already soaked and it's kind of cold, blah, blah, blah. And he assured me that somebody would call. And he actually said two minutes. So I wait, wow. I wait about, I don't know, 20 minutes and nobody's called. 
So I call the guy back. And, and you're just you know, standing. Are you huddled still? You're huddled in the like the six inches of overhang that like are, that your garage has. <laughs> well, actually, no. N- now I've moved over from the from the garage overhang. I've moved over. There's, as you know, in my backyard there are several enormous trees, and I'm yeah. just I'm just looking at the ground to see if there's any place that's dry, and I see that there's this place underneath this one tree, the tree between me and my house, the house to the north of me. And so I just go stand over there, and, you know, I'm still getting hit by rain, but not as much as I was under the overhang, believe it or not. So I wait a little while longer, and still no call. I call back again and get a similar response. He'll be calling you in just a minute. I wait another, I don't know, 20 minutes. I call again. I think in total I called this guy like six times. Oh, my and, God. And... Uh, the, the last time I talked, or the second to last time I talked to him, he said that, you know, I just spoke to the guy. He'll be calling you in two minutes or less. I waited another 20 minutes. Still no call. <laughs> call that guy back. Anyway, he I'm going to. He's just I'm, reassuring you every time you're speaking to him. He's just like, he's telling you that it'll be, hey, he's going he's gonna to reach out. And then like another 20 minutes will go by. <laughs> right. And, you know, in it retrospect. like something. That sounds like something in a movie. <laughs> well, in retrospect, I think that, you know, they just do that. They, that's just what they say. It doesn't matter if it's true or not. They just figure if I string this guy out long enough, you know, my guy will eventually show up. I have no yeah, idea where he is or when up, he'll yeah. be there. So anyway, yeah, uh, I've sort of lost track of time at this point. I think I'm now about, I don't know, an hour and 45 to two hours uh uh, no, probably more like an hour and a half. An hour and a half since I made the first call. So I've been standing outside for an hour and a half, and I'm getting colder and colder. At one point, I took my jacket off, my my you know my exterior motorcycle jacket. I took it off and I put it over the top of my motorcycle because my motorcycle is just out exposed to the elements, which it's never been before. It's a brand new bike. It's in perfect shape. And I'm getting concerned that it's been yeah. rained on that much. So I put it over the top of the over the front controls to try to like protect it a little bit. And of course, yeah. that's what one less layer I'm wearing. I'm getting colder and colder, and the rain starts to pick up, and it's getting really uncomfortable, really uncomfortable. Like I'm thinking, I'm going to be shivering here within 10 or 15 minutes, and I don't want that. Like that's going to start to be really yeah, yeah. bad. So. So yeah, you can get you could get you know you could get really sick or something from sticking around in that kind of weather. Exactly. So finally, finally, the phone rings and it's the guy who's coming to save me. And and uh, I said, well, where are you? He says, great news. I'm my GPS says I'm one minute away. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Because I was actually thinking very seriously about kicking one of my doors in. At that point, like for real, I was, I mean, I went over and like practiced how I was going to do it. I actually called a friend of mine who's a builder. <laughs> no, I did. I called a friend of mine who's a builder, Jeff Cramp. And I don't know if you ever met him or not, but and I'm like, like, Jeff, how do I, how do I, yeah, Jeff, this door I'm going to, I'm going to break this door down. What's it going to cost me to fix the damages that's going to cost? And how quickly could you, you know, can you help me find somebody? How long would it take? Blah, blah, blah. I mean, I had that entire conversation like a half an hour prior. So, so, but I'm like, thank, thanks, thank God I waited. Thank God I didn't kick a door down. And so I'm talking to this guy, and I, and the guy who just told me he was a minute away, and uh, yeah. and so I hang up. I hang up. I'm not lying. Twenty minutes later, 
20 minutes later, he calls back. And uh, he said... So this has now been like six or six different 20-minute segments that have all... Well, at that point, it's... That have all keep going back to back. Well, at that point, I'm over... At that point, I'm just about, or maybe a little bit over two hours. Yeah, that's what I'm... <laughs> <clears throat> that I've been standing out at least partially exposed to the rain, and some of the times I was directly exposed to the rain. And yeah. uh, so he, I said, he called back, and he said, I'm at the corner of, a, he, he, he mentioned two road names. I recall one of them. It was John R., which, again, I don't know how well you know Metro Detroit, Brendan, because it's oh, so... I do, but probably our listeners don't. <laughs> well, it's so far away that, you know, you might not know it. So, so John R., and he mentioned some other road I've never heard of, like John R. and Ellisworth. And I said, excuse me, did you just say John R.? And he said, yeah, they told me, aren't you on John R.? I said, no, I'm on Arthur. <laughs> and, he, and he said, oh, the address they gave me was 21365 John R. And I said, uh, I don't know exactly where you are, but I have an idea. And I would say you're roughly 40 to 45 miles away from me. <laughs> And he, and he started, like, he started like swearing, like, he, he started swearing, not at me, but at the situation. And he was, yeah. you know, he was quickly trying to deflect blame saying, oh, well, they, you know, the dispatch office or whoever, they told me your address was, you know, the address that I just mentioned. And I said, yeah. well, that's not even close. And dude, I've been outside for two hours exposed to the elements. I'm soaked. I'm freezing. I'm going to start shivering here in just a second. It's going to take you I'm going to say another 45 minutes to an hour to get here. And at he goes, well, least. I'll, yeah, I, at I'll, least. I'll drive fast. I'll drive fast. I'll get there as soon as I can. And at that point, because I was so desperate, I didn't want to eliminate him as an option. So I said, okay, yeah. just get here as quickly as you can. I then hang up. And miraculously, as I'm, as I'm contemplating what to do next, my phone rings, and it's some other guy who I've not spoken with before. Wait, what? Yeah, yeah, this, this story is just bizarre. So I answer, and he said, okay. he goes, hey, this is Kevin. I was asleep when they called me earlier. I just got the message. You have a problem with your lock? And, I'm, and, and I skip oh parts gosh. of the story because I actually called several places, you know, and didn't get satisfaction. Yeah. Sure. So, so I didn't know really who this guy was. And, but I'm like, at this point, I don't care. And I said, well, where are you exactly? And he said, well, I'm in, I'm in Novi, which actually can be quite close to where I live, but I, I got specifics in terms of where he was. And he was really, you know, in the most remote part of Novi, which is a town north of where I am by, you know, <laughs> 10 miles. He was actually in Wixom, Brendan, if you know where that is, which is another town oh that's my like God. Yeah, way seven miles there. west yeah. of that. So he said, my GPS says 27 minutes. <laughs> And I said, well, I, I would just ask you to get here as quickly as you can. So anyway, the guy, the guy finally, that guy. You're going to have, you're going to have like three or it's like two or three of these guys like showing up at your place at the same time. <laughs> well, just, it, it was weird because you're like I, air, you're like air traffic controlling how to get into your own house. <laughs> that's kind of what it felt like because after I hung up with that guy, another guy called who was just some guy who looked at his caller ID and saw that, because I called like, I ended up calling about six different places. And he yeah. said, 
Uh, I'm just returning a call regarding, uh, you know, I'm a locksmith. You called? And again, at this point, I don't know who I'm talking to. And so yeah. I start talking to him. <laughs> and, I, and I quickly figure out that You're like, he, I've called every locksmith in, like, <laughs> yeah. in like Wayne County, in yeah. Oakland County. <laughs> but I quickly figure out, because he didn't say this up front, I quickly figured out that he had just, like I just said, he just looked at a caller ID and called me back. And at that point, my phone was, you know, my phone was dying. It's like I was down to about 25% on my phone, which is I never get it down that low. And I was starting to worry that it might run out before anyone arrived. And then they would just find my skeletal remains in a couple hundred years. So (laughs) so, uh, I tried to get the guy off the phone and I'm like, I I already have, you know, I've already got somebody coming. I've I've talked to a bunch of different people. People keep lying to me. And he, he thought I was talking about him somehow. <laughs> like, he took offense at what I said. And he's like, listen, guy, we don't open until 7 o'clock in the morning. It's a freaking Sunday. And I said, dude, I wasn't talking about you. God, I, I got to go. I'm, my phone's dying. And I just hung up on him. So, oh, my gosh. So, so the dude, the dude finally shows up. The guy coming from this is so, this Wixom. Is so you have this weird. <laughs> this is such a fucking weird story because, like, what you're, is you're getting you're you're getting this bizarre like. <laughs> it was weird, man. I'm not. Like I'm not kidding. I've never. You're getting these just very short, strange touch points with like people because like who becomes and this is I mean this no in no offensive way to anybody who's a listener if you happen to have an occupation like this but a little bit like who becomes a locksmith you know what I mean like I don't know a single person I know one guy who is a locksmith here in Chicago who's a comedian and he literally is the one of the weirdest people I know in the comedy scene and he's the only locksmith I've ever met in my life like I'm sure it's an honest profession but like <laughs> it just seems so strange that you you're getting these people who are all lying to you. <laughs> they're all telling you they're like right around the corner, and yeah. then like an hour goes by before they hear back from you. <laughs> yeah, it was a nightmare. It's so like seven o'clock on a Sunday morning. <laughs> well, it, no, it was you know it was like before six o'clock on a, on a Sunday morning, unfortunately. But so the the dude coming from Wixom, anyway. whose name was Kevin, I believe. Kevin finally shows up. He whips into my driveway and almost hits my motorcycle on the way in. Like he just didn't see it. And so he missed it by, I'm going to say six inches. And I was like, I I watched the whole thing and I'm like, oh my God, that would just be the perfect ending to this is that the locksmith runs over my motorcycle. He didn't hit it. He gets out and you know, he's, he's hustling. I can see that he's hustling and I really appreciate that. He comes over. I got to fill out all this paperwork standing in the rain. I'm like literally writing my name and address and phone number on this paper as I'm standing in the rain, which is ridiculous. <laughs> Paper that's getting soaking wet as yeah. you're standing there. <laughs> and so I then watched this guy break into my house, and it was just amazing to watch because from the time he actually started working until the time he was done, I'm going to say was maybe 63 seconds. And oh my gosh. it was crazy because uh, it won't take long to describe, and I'll describe it. So he, he basically tried a couple different keys into and this was on my sliding glass door and and he put a couple different keys into the you know into the to the slot and the first one didn't fit so he dropped it picked up another one that one fit and I'm thinking what's this guy what what's that going to do he then took something I don't recall what it was it wasn't a hammer but something that had some weight behind yeah. it and he like knocked the key into 
the, the slot a couple times after it had been originally like pushed all the way in. So he pushed it all the way in, then he hit it a couple times from behind with, you know, like a, maybe a rubber hammer. He then, he then yeah. said, oh, this lock hasn't been used in a while, has it? I said, I'm pretty sure it's never been used. So he goes, oh, that explains it. So we then, he then reaches down into his bag, pulls out a, like a can of spray silicone or something like that. He then sprays it into the key slot, puts the key back in, and then he, he pushes the key in and out like he, the key is having sex with the lock maybe yeah. <laughs> 20 times. He then yeah. sticks the key in, turns it, and it just opens. Oh, my God. And this, all, this whole thing only took like 60 seconds. Yeah. It may have been less than 60 seconds, actually. And I was just oh dumbfounded. Gosh. Like, that was way too easy. I mean, like, I think I could actually do what I just saw him do. All you have to do is make sure you have the right, like, starter key that just fits in Equipment. there somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so... I'm at that point. I'm just delighted because it's almost exactly three hours from the time I made the first phone call until that moment. Three hours, and so you know, I so I pull the sliding glass door open and I just jump inside because I'm just trying to get warm. And yeah. the guy hands me, uh, you know, the, he hands me this invoice, and it was it was two hundred bucks, and now I'm yeah. going to go back. To, I'm going to go back to what I said before when I got the price quote. The price quote I got was it was $19.99 for the call, and then it was $35 an hour for labor. So Wait, I thought $20 for the call? Well, you know, for the service call, not the phone call, the service call. Got Just it. a flat okay, got fee. Got it, got it, got it. All right, that makes sense. Yeah. And then $30, so the guy shows up. He starts maybe the clock when he leaves or whatever. He well, might be like that, 50 to 80 bucks, depending on how much. Well, it took yeah. him it took him less than a half an hour to drive to my house. I know that from the time I talked yeah. to him until the time he arrived. And I don't think they charge you for travel. I think they just charge you for the time that they work. But anyway, the the yep. the details don't matter so much as just the degree to which it was exaggerated. You know, like I'm thinking, okay, worse because I, I know you know I, I know a locksmith isn't going to take a long time to get in. I'm thinking five minutes tops. Either they can get in or they can't. Yeah, is what I've heard. Yeah. So. So I'm thinking, okay, this will cost me, you know, 50 to 75, let's say worst case, 100 bucks, but it was 200. And at that point, you know, you can't quibble. What am I going to say to the guy? No. And so I paid him and I, I did yeah. tell him, I said, the, you know, the quote that I know didn't come from you, but I'm just telling you the quote was nowhere near this amount. And I paid him and you know, he was a good guy. And we talked about motorcycles for a little bit. It turns out he owns a motorcycle and that's the end of the story. But what, what I wanted to... The the real reason wait, I wait wanted a minute. To... what happened with the other guy though? Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped that part. At, like, yeah, once yeah, once what happened? To all the other the other people you had you had helicoptered in from well, various I, areas. I of called Detroit. I called the the last guy I called back and just said I got I got a guy here now who also I think came from your service. So just wanted you to know that's the guy that was at John R. Forty miles away, forty five miles away. Yeah. Oh man. So. That poor guy. His poor morning. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. And he he to to his credit he said okay cool thanks for letting me know. So oh, well that's good for he is a good guy. Yeah. Yeah. And you know you got to feel for people like this. Here they are laying I'm sure laying in you know at home asleep at you know five fifty a.m. on a Sunday, and you know they got to get up yeah. and 
scramble somewhere to help some idiot who's locked himself out of his house. And so the reason I wanted to tell that story actually wasn't so much for the story or not, not for the telling of the story so much as what a couple lessons I learned from this. And it's funny because I've sure. always been hyper conservative when it comes to things like, you know, my garage door, ironically, this has nothing to do with this story. My garage door sometimes doesn't, doesn't close all the way. It'll, it'll either something moves near it or who knows. I really don't know why this happens, but sometimes it'll go like 80% down ghosts, and then go Indian back up. burial ground ghosts. Yeah. Exactly. So over the course of living here now for 19 years, I've learned that. And I always, when I close the garage door, I always sit and watch it close 100% of the way. And it's funny because I used to, I dated someone for uh, nearly 20 years who lived with me for most of that time. And she was just the opposite. She was just a completely unconservative person in the manner that I'm not talking about politics, I'm talking about just little things like make sure the door closes before you drive off. And she would very often, yeah. she would very often, she'd back out of the garage, hit the garage door opener, the door would start to close, and she'd just, dro- just start driving away. And I'm going to say 50 different times, uh, I came downstairs. It would come back up, yeah, and then it would be open. Doors wide open. And it's, you know, and it's 12 degrees below zero, and it's been open for an hour. <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> so uh, I'm I'm very conservative by nature, and you know you'd think I'd have a backup plan for the garage door opener, uh, you know, for the carrying of the garage door opener, but I didn't. And I've, you know, I, obviously that's a lesson I've learned, and I'm going to have my door uh, keypad installed uh, tomorrow if possible. But way beyond that, I was homeless for three hours. I mean, that's really what I was. I was <laughs> I was completely exposed to the elements. It was raining. You know, I had my motorcycle helmet and my motorcycle gloves. There was nowhere to put them. Like, I had, no, I couldn't even cover yeah. them. It was like, they're just out in yeah. the rain. And in it the was... elements, re- yeah. Yeah. It was the worst feeling. And and I, you know, three hours is a long time. You know, it, it sounds like I was doing something most of the time. And actually what I did to pass most of the time was I just posted on Facebook and, you know, and communicated with people about what was happening to me. And that actually, you know, that helped a lot, but I was draining my phone as a result. So I was trying to conserve the phone. And so I had long stretches where I was just standing there in the rain and with nothing to do. And I was cold and I was starving because I hadn't had any food. And I thought, this is what it's like to be homeless, except it's permanent or, you know, as long as they're homeless. Except there's no hope of getting into a place. Right. And, and, and I know this sounds so horribly cliche, and I'm sure many people listening to this would be like, wow, what an asshole you are, dude. Like, you want to you wanna compare being locked outside your house on your $16,000 motorcycle like you're homeless? And, and I appreciate that. I really do. But sometimes I think life kind of reaches out and slaps you in the face to teach you a little bit of a lesson. And that's kind of what it yeah. felt like to me, that... I, I, I tend to live my life in a very isolated manner where I'm not a very uh, empathetic or sympathetic person. And um, I often tell people, and this is the truth, and I'm not, I'm not proud of it, it's just the truth, is when, I, when I'm driving down the road and I see a squirrel or a raccoon or, some, or something like that that's been hit by a car, I literally feel something. 
I actually grieve. Yeah. I do. I mean, I it, and it's not. I'm not choosing to do it. It's like, oh my gosh, that that poor little animal. Yeah, this I, is this is something that comes yeah. up. Yeah, this is. Well, a, and this and is I a picture it possesses I, you. I picture its last second on Earth. You know, I picture it like darting out in front of a car, looking up at the car, and like, oh shit, and then it's over. It's just run over and it's dead. Yeah. And I and I just feel terrible because that squirrel or that raccoon had a family, had had children oh, perhaps, yeah. had aging parents it was caring for by bringing nuts throughout the winter. I don't know what it was doing, but the point <laughs> is, you know, it's a living thing, and I really feel I feel yeah. something for yeah for animals. It's ex- that, it's experience, yeah. That's all a setup, a very nice, warm, fuzzy setup for <laughs> exactly the opposite conclusion, which is I don't feel those things for people. Yeah. And I know that's weird. Do you not though? Like, so what I? But wait. So what I hear you kind of saying here, I think, is that you are. Did this experience then being homeless for three hours give you some amount of empathy for what someone who's truly homeless, like permanently homeless or, you know, at least indefinitely homeless for, for their experience. Is that what you're trying to say? Or are you saying that you went through that and at the end of it, you're like, actually, I still don't feel anything. for those. No, no, no. It's, it's the former, not the latter. No, it, it definitely made me, it made me appreciate again for just a minute. I understand that, but it made me appreciate the feeling of helplessness and hopelessness and, you know, I, my biggest dilemma was, is it going to take this motherfucker 20 minutes or two hours? I mean, that's that was the whole dilemma. I yeah. mean, worst case is I kicked yeah. the door down, obviously. But Yeah, or like, yeah, or or or, or whatever. Or you walk over to the coffee bean or something and sit down right. and get some coffee. And then, yeah, I mean, like, it's, let me tell you this. So when I lived in, um, so I did something recently, and I ha- I don't t- talk about doing this kind of stuff. Um, I, I, I want to tell you two stories actually um but recently i was walking through so there's homeless people everywhere in chicago and i typically don't have any pocket change because i've already given it to whatever homeless person i saw who's begging um because i just feel like that i think to myself if i was in their circumstance how how would i want someone to treat me and like it's unreasonable to think like okay i'm gonna you know, at some point you can't do, it's like, I can't bring them home. Like, I don't know who these people are and, you know, probably they're maybe not necessarily mentally stable. And so I can't really do that. Although I have done that in the past and I'll talk about that in a minute. But, um, a lot of, I, 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 the other day I passed a guy who was trying to, they had, there's a newspaper called, um, Streetwise here in Chicago that is a newspaper printed. It's like a, it's like a free newspaper, and homeless people can come and get it, and then they can sell it on the street, basically. And it's like two bucks or something like that, and it's kind of like a... It gives them something to do. They can help out with the paper, like, to get some work experience. Like, they get paid, like, a, a small amount of money. Um, and it also it helps them, like, build a resume or whatever. Like, there's a... It's, a, it's like a kind of a community you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a project or something. Um, and it, anyway, I pass this guy and I see him there every day and he's so positive and he's trying to work really hard. Like he's trying to hustle this newspaper. Um, it's clear that, I mean, nobody would be doing this out of anything but being in a rather desperate situation. And he's, he's not bothering anybody. He's just trying to like bark and sell this newspaper basically. And I never have any money to buy it because who carries cash? 
Right. Uh, I just went in and I, I went to grab lunch. I pass him on my way to grab lunch every day. And I was going to grab lunch with a coworker who was complaining about her, her job. Uh, and I won't say her name, but she was just kind of like frustrated. Normal, normal business stuff, but it's all like, oh, I had to do this and I didn't want to do that. And this person said, do this thing. And I was just listening to her and we passed this guy. We get into the lunch place and I'm like, yeah, I need a $20 gift certificate. And she's like, oh man, are you like, but you're buying a, she's like, are you trying to limit your intake of uh, NAF NAF, which is like a really good, it's like Chipotle, but with uh, pitas or anyway, it's in Chicago. It's like a Chicago thing. So I'm like, no, I'm actually going to give this to that homeless guy. And she was like, what? And we pass him and I'm like, hey man, I don't have any cash to give you uh, to buy newspapers from you, but I thought the least I could do is at least pay for your lunch so you're not hungry out here. Uh, while you're trying to hustle these newspapers. And he was like, oh, thank you, man. And he just, like, launched into this story about how he's like, I'm doing this because I, I lost my job as a driver. And I, he's like, I'm not really sure what to do. And me and, the, the, you know, me and my, my, my lady, we're going to be out on the street, like, at the end of the month. And he's like, I'm not trying to, you know, I just want to tell you, I'm just telling you this to let you know that this is really meaningful to me. And I was like, thanks. And then, like, we start walking back to the office. And <laughs> my coworker's like, wow, I feel like a huge bitch for, like, complaining about, you know, stupid crap at work. And, you know, I think about that because, like, I, I tell that story not to be like, um, oh, I'm so cool, I did this thing. Like, this is literally the first time I've told anybody about it since I did it. But I think kind of like you had, like, you had this experience, like, and I think... Man, we walk around and we have so many complaints in our lives, like, like oh, this it's a little bit, oh, I got to be out in the rain for three hours or something. And it's like, it's not that those aren't inconvenient or they're not uncomfortable or they're not, it's not like that isn't, you know, a real thing that's, that's, that's bothersome. But like, I just try to remember that, you know, we, we got it pretty good and a lot of other people don't. And it's important to at least keep that in mind somehow. And that really was driven home for me when I was living in Colorado because, you know, when I flew back to Colorado, so after I came back from France, I was around, you know, after Rob passed, um, which we've never talked about on this podcast, but um, my cousin, uh, my uncle's other nephew, Rob Lemon, uh, passed away suddenly and terribly, which at some point I'm sure we'll end up talking about, but yes. kind of ended up affecting the whole family. And I had planned actually to move to Chicago right when I got back from France, and that was the plan. I had everything kind of lined up to do it, but, you know, had this horrible family trauma happen, and I ended up just spending the entire winter back sort of living at my parents' house uh, because of sort of how traumatic everything was, which actually I think was good in, in the long run, but uh, I had moved back to Colorado after that and kind of was just floating for a while, I suppose, but one of those things that was when I say I was floating was true, was that I, I could move to Colorado, but like I didn't have a place to live. Like I had gotten my friend Brad out there told me, yeah, you can stay on my couch for, you know, a couple weeks or something. And I was like, okay. And I got there and like stayed on his couch for two weeks and then like just didn't find another place to live. <laughs> so I was like functionally homeless for like three months as I lived in Colorado in Boulder for that entire summer. Actually, it was more than that. It was more like five months. It was from about March of 2014 to August of 2014, at which point I drove back to Michigan uh, and stayed at my parents' house. But, like, I say this because, like, you're, you're so right. Like, I had, that was a very weird time because I slept in the truck sometimes, and it was, it was bizarre because I also had a job. Like, I was working independently, and I had a 
you know, I had my computer and I was able to make phone calls and develop sales. And like, so I had a paycheck. Um, I was being paid sort of irregularly because it was a, a startup, but I still had a paycheck and like I had a credit card and like my credit card balance was all paid off. So it was like, I didn't, like if I had to, I could have, you know, easily gotten a hotel or I could have like, and I knew that and I was aware of it, but like, it was just weird because there's moments where I would have days where I would be working and I would kind of get done working at like six o'clock and I would be like, I don't even know where I'm going to sleep tonight. Like I've got my truck and it's wow. decent weather because it's Colorado. It doesn't get that cold at night, but you know, and I would kind of go through my phone and think like, okay, so who are the friends who I've called or slept over at their place recently? And I didn't want to, I didn't want to directly ask someone to be like, Hey, look, I don't have a place to stay. So I can stay at your place. Like I would kind of just like, if I was over at somebody's place late, I would just be like, Hey, do you mind if I just crash on your couch? And you know, people wouldn't typically wouldn't mind. Like I started, this is, this is the really sh like shady part of this is I would start going to bars and trying to pick up girls to go back to their place because I'd be like, okay, cool. I got a place to stay now. <laughs> <laughs> but like, <laughs> yeah, I got pretty good at it <laughs> also. <laughs> but like, I, I say that because, you know, at any given point I could have called my parents and been like, I can't do this. One of you has to come and get me. Or I could have called up sort of my unofficial older brother, Rodney Bowles, who lives out there and has a house and been like, look, I got to stay in your guest room. I'm sorry, man. Like I kind of, this is just finally, you know, I hit rock bottom or who knows what I would have said. But the point is, is I had escape valves, you know, and I had an income. So it's like I could go buy food. I could buy lunch. I didn't have, I wasn't paying rent for five months, even though I had an income. So it's like, I actually had some decent money in the bank. Like it wasn't that big of a deal. Uh, but it, and I had a car, like I had a truck and I could sleep in the truck. Like I had a, you know, the, the flatbed at the back of the truck and I had like a sleeping bag and some stuff. So it was like, it really wasn't that big of a deal. Um, I had a membership to a gym, so I could literally, like, go to the gym, use their soap, take a shower. I could go wash my clothes at, like, different friends' places sometimes and, like, wasn't, wasn't that big of a deal. But still, that feeling of, like, I don't know where I'm going to sleep tonight or I don't know, where I'm, I don't know what, what's going to change. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what, where, you know, do I want to live here? Do I not want to live here? What's the deal? Like, that's really messed up. And I think, finally, the other thing I'll say about this is... Um, because I mentioned it earlier, is when I was saying, first of all, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that just after I've related it, all, all of that to you. Right now, or I thought you were going to make another point. Well, I can make another point, I guess, but I was just curious to hear if you had any thoughts on uh, just on that story alone. Well, sure. Yeah, I do. Uh, I think that it's just echoing sort of the point I was trying to make, which is sometimes we need to have experiences like that. And I know this is outrageously obvious, so I, I apologize in advance for that. But sometimes we just need to have these experiences or, 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 or something even remotely similar to the, those kinds of experiences to make us appreciate what we have. And I spend a lot oh, yeah. of time... In fact, I, I haven't told you this... It's something that I want to talk with you about, uh, you know, when we get off, uh, when we're done with this show, we talked about talking about this, is I started, or I hope to start, I should say, uh, for us to do some vlogging, you know, video blogging. And I made, yeah. I made, I've made a couple of those videos. And the first one I made, it, it deals pretty directly with what I'm talking about now. And this is just coincidence. I, this, none of this was planned. But the, the point of the video 
is, you know, just the power of gratitude. Again, it's a very basic message that everybody's heard a million times. But in the video that I made, I talk specifically about what I do personally as it relates to leveraging gratitude in my life and, and what I, I mean, practically mm -hmm. what I do. And it's just amazing to me. I learned the lessons that I learned that I discussed in the video. I got from my, from my mother who got the message from my grandfather, her father. And I don't want to bore you with that story now, but it's just amazing the power of gratitude. And I've personally found it definitely the case that whenever I start thinking about how lucky I am, and I was actually doing this today when I was outside, I, I was saying to myself, you know, I'm going to get into this house at some point and how, just how much more appreciation I have for what I have. And I love mm -hmm. actually those moments when all that gets brought back into priority. You know, like whenever, I don't know if you've ever dealt with this particular phenomenon, most people have, which is you think you have a real health problem, some serious thing, and then you find out you don't. And yep. I, I, I like to use that as an illustration because to me, it's like, I, I'm glad I went, I, I would rather have gone through that than not. Because even though it was scary and even though I was afraid something bad was going to happen, I came out of it better than I was before it happened. And, and I, that's why I like having these experiences in life that sort of recalibrate your perspective and priority simply because yeah. we, you know, just like the, the woman you mentioned in your stir story earlier when you were having lunch and she was complaining about, you know, ordinary work things. And, you know, we all do that, of course. That's just human nature. But... You know, every time I hear somebody talking like that, like, oh, well, I don't, they want me to do so much, and I, how much harder can I work, and all those kinds of things that we all say occasionally. Yeah. It's, it really is. It's a classic first world problem phenomenon of just be thankful you have a job and a roof over your head and a car or transportation and your health and so on and so on and so on and so on. So that's really what I yeah. thought is just Stop the gratitude thing. Stop trying to recognize thing. the shit that you don't have and appreciate the shit that you do have. Well, yeah, and exactly. I, exactly. I really, yeah, and I think that, you know, the big, the like the golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated. I think I just try to keep a little bit of, I try to keep a little bit of empathy uh, going where I think, how would I want to be treated if I was to change places with this person, how would I want someone to treat me? And I don't think that that means that you have to do anything crazy, but I just think, well, like, this is the other story I was going to tell, because, go ahead. Well, I just wanted to make one more comment, which is, and again, outrageously obvious and probably sounds ridiculous to somebody listening, but, you know, to really put yourself in the position of being homeless, what is that really like? And, you know, how difficult would it be when you have ask people for help, which, you know, I'm sure that people go through a process, I'm guessing, of, oh my gosh, I'm homeless. What the hell do I do now? And then they probably acclimate to that thought that, yes, I'm homeless. Here I am. What do I do to survive? And then at some point, they must get to the point where they're like, I don't have any choice. I, I can either start, you know, I can become a criminal. I can start stealing things or breaking into people's houses or their cars, or something like that, or I can beg. And imagine yep. what that does to your psyche. Imagine what that does to your self-esteem, in your ego. It's, it has to be 
absolutely crushing. But then you get to the point where, okay, I've accepted the fact that I need to panhandle. And then it's a matter of rejection. I mean, what percentage of people reject you? And how do you continue to do it with a positive vibe? You know, how do you do it without coming across as really bitter and, you know, and and, and angry and mad at the world? You know, I can't, all that, I can't imagine what that's like. And then just to deal with the physical realities of, you know, are you homeless in a city where you have a much better opportunity to get something from someone in terms of handouts, but you also then need yeah. to deal with all the crap that comes with that? Do you remember there was a craze? Thank God, I think it's over. But there was a craze that, or at least it appeared to be a craze, where people were just physically attacking homeless people for sport. Oh, yeah, this was uh, a few Like years smashing ago. bottles. Would, like, videotape it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, smashing bottles over some homeless person who was asleep or just beating them into unconsciousness just for sport. I mean, like, oh, my God, I can't even... The evil in some people, it's just really horrifying. So, anyway, I'm sure that people get the point I'm trying to make, which is just how difficult that must be, and we really should have... I, I, wish, I, I wish I had more of an opportunity to help people in that regard, and, you know, I think... I'm going to do something. I don't know what I'm going to do. Maybe donate some money to some cause that helps homeless people. Or I probably should do something more practical, like just get in my damn car and drive to downtown Detroit, where I'm sure there's some homeless people. Just give them some money. That's what I should do. Yeah, I I don't know. It's a good question because like it's it's I think about this too because um you know what do you do when you have do you have the opportunity like that's why I hand out a lot of change. But, like, it, it's also strange because it's, like, you can't, like, I, I, you know, you, some of these people need real help in the sense that they, they have, like, mental issues, and that's right. why they... Well, there's clearly nothing we can do for them, you know, they, personally. They it's, yeah, and, I mean, sometimes it's, like, it's clear that, okay, this is just kind of a, somebody in a bad situation, and just to, you know, but I learned a lot about this whole thing when uh, the first time I was living in Colorado, uh, I had a, a, a friend of mine who came to me. I think I told you this story before. And again, like, I don't, I don't talk about this shit a lot because I think that it, it's not, um, if you're helping somebody, the reason you should do it is because you're, you should be, want, should be motivated from a, a place of, I'm, I want to help this person out. Not like, um, you know, you shouldn't be using it as a kind of a tro- an altruistic trophy to no, show other I'd people totally and talk agree. about. Yeah. Obviously. So it was like, but the reason I, I think it would be helpful to share this story is that I, I was, uh, I, I went out to do some comedy in Boulder once, and there was a guy who I knew from the comedy scene there, and he basically just kind of was like, uh, at the end of the night, he sort of just turned to me and he was like, hey, look, um, he's like, I just got to ask you this question, um, and it's going to be awkward, but I got to ask it to you. Um, I normally have a space in the North uh, Boulder Homeless Shelter. That's normally where I end up staying, and I didn't get my lottery number pulled, um, today, which, you know, normally happens, but there was a lot of people and they got a different one. So I wasn't able to get a bed there tonight. Um, so I'm, I just have to ask you, is it possible for me to stay at your place? If not, there's a church on the south side of Boulder that I could go to. Um, but I would prefer not to go there. And I was like, okay. And it was just very weird, um, because I kind of like didn't really know what to do. And it was strange too, because I was actually on a date at the time also, which was kind of bizarre. And I was like, uh, okay. So just 
you know, I mean, it was very weird because I was, and again, like you th- you'd like to think that if you're the, you're the kind of person who would immediately be like, oh, you can stay at my place or something. But it was weird because I didn't know this guy that well. And I was kind of on a date and I was like, wow, I'm in a, this is a very strange position to, that I'm put in now. And my exact next thought was me being really pissed off at myself for not immediately telling him that it was okay for him to stay at my place. And I was like, yeah, man, you can, but you can stay at my place. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll head back. Like, no big deal. And so we go back to my joint, and I'm like, I don't know this guy that well still, but I just was thinking if I'm in the reverse position, of, I, of course I don't want to sleep on in a church, you know what I mean, with a bunch of strangers I don't know. Like, right. And... And he uh, he ended up staying over, and the the where where this story is going basically is the next day he got into the North Boulder like homeless shelter again. Did did, but did you and your later, did you and your did you and your date have a three way with him? <laughs> no, that would be treated. That would have been a great treatment of, for the, of the you know what I mean doing something for the homeless. I'm gonna edit that um, comment out, of course. He, <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny though. Uh, so, but what the the more important point is this, which is that I kind of was trying to digest this, that what had happened and kind of how I felt about it, and I talked to a few people about it, and they were like, "Well, that's really good, man, but that's like kind of weird, you know? It's like you, that guy you didn't know that guy that well, and he could have taken some of your shit or whatever." And I was like, "Yeah, I guess I, it just feels kind of bizarre." But anyway, about a week later, I headed back to Michigan for two weeks for the holidays. And I just called him up, and I was like, hey, if you want to stay at my place, you're welcome to. Um, I'll give you a key. Like, you know, just come and go as you please. I figure it's probably better than staying at the North Boulder Homeless Shelter, so you're just welcome to stay at my place. Like, And I, I had a inflatable mattress that I laid out for him and all this stuff. And he totally took me up on it and was, like, the greatest house guest. Like, he was very nice. But I told people that I was doing that, and people freaked out. Like, people were like, you're letting some stranger live in your house for two weeks? And I was, and while you're not there, like, and I understand how crazy that kind of sounds, but I was also thinking just, this guy, yeah, I don't want, I wouldn't want to stay in a homeless shelter. I would, like, I would be hoping that, you know, he, somebody was like, yeah, just stay at my place, like, it's okay. And I kind of thought, like, if he's in a desperate enough situation that he has to steal some of my shit and then sell it, uh, I guess I'd be okay with that. Like, I think, like, if this guy is really that that bad and he needs it that bad, then I, I f- kind of feel all right about it. Because, I mean, it, it, I, I know that sounds kind of weird. Like, it's different if than that. I guess what I'm describing is, like, that's a little bit different than someone breaking in and taking something, if that makes sense. Like, if I, I feel like, and if, if my goodwill got taken advantage of, I felt like, well, maybe this is an opportunity for the universe to show me that, hey, sometimes people are good people and they just need a little bit of help because they're in a challenging situation. And you know what? That's exactly what happened. He was totally fine. He was the best house guest. He ended up getting a, a job, uh, just a t- totally like working at a, a subway at a fast food place and just needed it as a basis for getting some income before he got a real job doing marketing for um, a, a theater in the Boulder area and continues to work at that place now and is totally fine and like got married and had a good situation and has a, owns a house and like just was in a really weird challenging set of circumstances but it's like so strange because like we I just say that because that's could be 
you know, whatever homeless guy you're passing. That could be the dude selling newspapers. That could be the, you know, the person who has a sign that just says, like, hey, just homeless, truly in a desperate situation. And there's so many people who would just pass it by and be like, whatever, like, you're just a panhandler, you're just, or whatever. And I, I think that's strange because I think the challenge is maybe trying to recognize that you know, that could have been, that could be you, or that could be, that in, in a different set of circumstances, that could be you, or that could be someone you care about. And, like, this is somebody's son, daughter, sister, brother, you know, um, maybe even parent, who knows. And if you have the opportunity, maybe just try to treat them like they're a real person. And I think that, I think that that's all this guy needed, and, you know, I, I mean, obviously, you can't do that every day, I suppose, but it's, it would be good if people at least thought of one another in those situations as real people, you know? Yeah, well, I think that's wonderful that you helped that guy out at that particular point in his life because it sounds like that may have actually been instrumental in getting him to where he ended up. And and I think that's something that, in fact, this, this actually kind of strangely relates to you and your story as I see it. And we talked about this on one of our previous podcasts, but what I'm referring to specifically is how quickly a person's fate can change, how quickly your story can change. Because, you know, you were in the midst of a difficult time when you were living up at Manistee. And we, again, we did talk about this before on, on another podcast, but you lived through that winter up there. And I recall talking with you a number of times and it was just brutal because the, you know, the winter itself is brutal. You're in a very old home in a town that is a summer oriented community that is nowhere near the same in the winter as you know there's a tourist factor in the summer that you don't have in the winter and it's kind of small and sort of isolated to begin with and so you know you were in in kind of a dark place at that time and then you ended up getting the job that you now have which from all I can tell is a fantastic job it's completely changed your your station in life I think that's not an exaggeration at all to say that. And, and no, totally not. And, and so, how quickly you went from dark to light and from, you know, down to up and from unstable, not you personally, but your situation to stable. And so, you know, it, it, I think it's cool in that particular story, in that particular case where you were directly involved with maybe being a catalyst in some way. You know, maybe if you hadn't done that, who knows what would have happened. And so I think it's great that you did do that. And, you know, we live in such a materialistic culture, and I am an incredible hypocrite right now, and I just want to make that clear. I, I not so much anymore, although still certainly to a certain extent. I used to be a horribly materialistic person, really addicted to material possessions. And if, if you were to walk into my house right now and just walk around and look you, especially if you looked at my closets, you would, you'd probably be embarrassed for me in terms of, you know, like, dude, how many pairs of jeans does one human being need? How many pairs? I've talked about the number of <laughs> shoes I have. It's like, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And I'm embarrassed. I mean, I look at that stuff often. And in fact, I've given a ton of it away in the past couple of years. And I feel really good about that. But that does not absolve how bad I feel for being in that position in the first place because I either could have had a lot more money in the bank or I could have taken that money and done something, you know, for other people that really would have definitely brought me more joy than what I actually did, 
which was just buy another, you know, another pair of shoes or another pair of pants or another whatever, 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 none of it which ever brought me any joy beyond the fleeting moment in which I actually, you know, bought the thing. And so that's a, if, if like, I've often thought about this. In fact, I, I've been meaning to put this on Facebook as a post. I think the responses could be fascinating. Ask people, name the one or two or three biggest lessons you've learned in life, just from your own experience. Ooh, and definitely, definitely on that list for me would be that, you know, materialism does not in any way bring happiness at all. Not in any way. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's yeah, but taken... I mean, here's what's weird about that, though, is that it doesn't bring happiness, but the lack of it, the total lack of it definitely brings challenges. Oh, of That's course. What's yeah. Oh, of so course. Yeah. I don't mean to. I, I'm not I'm not I'm not espousing that we, you know, live in caves and own not own anything. I, what my point is really maybe a different way of expressing it would be moderation in all things. You know, don't yeah. don't overkill. Like how much of a house do you need? As an example, like it's, that's something I would do differently now oh, yeah. is the house I have is way bigger than I need. And I personally made it worse by doubling the size of it about, I don't know, 12 or 13 years ago. I put an addition on it to make it far larger than it was. And there's, there's been many times when I have said to myself, I would give anything to just undo that one decision. Just to go back to what I had before. It was, it was, every, it was more than I needed even then. But... You know, I got caught yeah. up in the keeping up with the Joneses bullshit where I live, you know, like probably 60 to 70% of the houses have all been rehabbed and made into houses that were twice as big as they were originally. And I just got caught up in that mania. And I really wish I could undo that. But that would be an interesting thing to hear uh, what people think the biggest lessons they've learned are. Did you, you were going to tell a second story. Was that the second story? No, yeah, that was the second story was just the... The fact that I, you know, well, uh, met sort of a homeless person who was a real person to me. Yeah. And then, you know, let them live in my place while they were trying to get their back on their yeah. feet. Um, I just wanted to make... Just, yeah, I don't know. That was a, just a big thing for me, yeah. Well, and I, you, must, you must be familiar with the expression because you've said it yourself and just used different words. But it's a very, you know, it's a very famous expression. But there, but by the grace of God, go I. You know, it's like that person... Yeah. I, I, my parents had more money than that person's parents, or my parents loved me more than that person's parents, etc. And I, you know, I, I actually think about this more than you probably would believe. I mean, I've actually thought often about the prospect of being homeless because I just know, you know, if you look at the yeah. statistics, if you look at the stats about how many people live paycheck to paycheck in this country. It is terrifying. When you look at the stats that show how much does the average American family have saved in the bank right now, it's terrifying. And you think, if we were to go through another economic downturn like the one we had in 2000, whenever that was, eight, you know, the housing crash, all that, there could be a whole yeah. lot of people living on the street quickly. And man, oh, man. man, would that be scary. Man, would that be scary? So it's it would be so fast, yeah. And it's terrifying I, to think about. It is, and it, you know, I I don't mean to suggest that I'm broke because I'm not. But the amount of money that I have saved, for example, I can't live on it for the rest of my life, not even close. I mean, I have to keep earning money for the foreseeable future, 
And again, it would just take a bad year or two. I, the, the, my primary income comes from selling real estate. And the good news in that business is you tend to make the money in big chunks. You know, uh, in where I live and work, you know, the typical commission earns, you know, 10000 or more per deal. So the good news is you don't have to do a ton of deals to, you know, to survive. But To be decent, yeah. But, you know, there were years back when the market crashed when there were plenty of agents who literally didn't do any deals at all in a, in a year, sometimes even two years, because there were no yeah. deals to be made. Yeah. Nobody was buying and selling. And so I lived through that, and luckily I had a lot of money saved up at that time. So it wasn't, I mean, it was scary, but it wasn't terrifying. But if that happened again, man, you know, I just think there's a lot of people who are living close to the edge. And in fact, I just heard a story uh, about someone. I don't want to give any in indication as to who it is because they, I don't want them to know I'm talking yeah. about them. But somebody that I know, and they are about to be evicted from their home, and they have multiple children. Oh man! And uh, their income simply is not sufficient to to cover their situation. Again, I don't want to give any more particulars. It's not really this person's fault. They they were let down by another person. But the bottom line is they're going to be evicted with three kids. And this is happening like right now. I think, in fact, they're, I think they may be being evicted at the end of this month, which would be tomorrow. So, yeah, man, you know, I even, I even thought briefly, like maybe I should just invite them to live in my home. And I even kind of flew, flew up the flagpole of the person that was telling me the story. Uh, but, you know, it, it's super awkward. And I just feel awful for them. You know, we, we really are blessed. And I just think in terms of, I have a roof. I have reasonable food access to food. I have a nice car. Uh, I've got enough money in the bank to survive for some period of time. And I am thankful every single day for those things. And I actively give thanks for them. I mean, I think about this every day. And I, that's you know the gratitude stuff again. But I, I really find that's powerful. Whenever I get upset about things, which usually is professionally related, you know, something doesn't go the way I want yeah. it to. I quickly try to transition into that gratitude mindset. And it's amazing that when I really do that, when I really do transition into that mindset, I almost become embarrassed. It's like, really? You know, you're pissed about that? When you have all these other things to be thankful for. That's ridiculous. So, Well, it's especially good to remember this time of year, you know, like during the, as we're kind of coming up to Thanksgiving and during the holidays, that like... <clears throat> I mean, just the the fact that our country just turns on a dime to go from, hey, let's all be thankful and let's remember those of us who are less fortunate to, like, gonna go buy shit, like, the next morning is ridiculous. It's interesting that you had this reminder sort of this morning about it, because hopefully when people listen to this podcast, they can take a second and think about, you know, all the ways in which they are blessed and, and can keep gratitude for that stuff. I hope um, so, yeah. That's the kind of thing that... I. I think that's the kind of thing that I, I've been, not to you know, really beat a dead horse here, but I think that's the kind of thing that I've been talking about a lot, like when I mentioned it in our episode, um, who I'm voting for. That's the same kind of principle I guess I'm trying to mention is like, you know, let's try to turn the volume down a little bit and just kind of appreciate the shit that you have. And that, w and, and that kind of patience, I think, you know, the world could use a lot more of it. And certainly our, our culture could use a lot more of it right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we probably shouldn't even open that can of worms because we're... Can of worms. Yeah. 
we're yeah. we're pretty de- we're pretty de- we're past an hour on this podcast, and and we could probably talk for three hours on that one. But yeah, our, our culture really is. It's sad. It's sad how out of control we've gotten in so many ways. You know, materialism, the political divide is outrageous. You know, with you know Republican headquarters being bombed, and I I saw something this morning. Uh, on Facebook where somebody dropped off a load of manure right in front of the front door of the, a, a local Democratic <laughs> oh headquarters. God. That was in Michigan somewhere. <laughs> oh and, uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll stop oh, there. that's hilarious. But uh, thank you for listening. And, again, the real, the real point I wanted to make here, we wanted to make here today was just, you know, being homeless for three hours and all of the things that came out of that. And sorry, because I know a lot of the things that I said in this podcast were super obvious and super cliché. But, you know, we try not to filter ourselves, and, you know, sometimes human beings are like that. So thank you for putting up with my crap. And, Brennan, thank you for your insights and contributions, and we look forward to you being on, um, uh, in our audience on our next podcast, and we greatly, again, appreciate your support of UNCFU. Until next time, we will see you around. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.